Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and an advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Juliet P. White. Juliet practices law professionally and is on the board of trustees of the Disability Law Center here in Utah. Juliet's experience as a parent of a child with autism has motivated her to help people with disabilities live full and satisfying lives as integrated members of our community. Juliet, will you take a moment to tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you've done? You know, the work that I've done uh, started as a parent, as you know, um, and uh, we spent a number of years, uh, you know, from the very beginning with our child, uh, trying to make sense of the world that he was going to be dealing with, and almost immediately realizing that there were policy changes that needed to happen. Um, and uh, I look back on it, and I'm amazed that we had the time and energy, but, you know, not long after our child was diagnosed, uh, you know, my husband took on a, a grassroots effort to change uh, uh, insurance coverage for children with autism in Utah. So, you know, we, we, we've been identifying and tackling policy problems along the way. Um, and then as a lawyer, uh, I eventually had an opportunity to join the Board of Trustees for the Disability Law Center here in Utah, which is Utah's protection and advocacy agency. And there's mm -hmm. one in every state. And they exist to make sure that there is, um, you know, that, that, that there are attorneys out there to uh, to represent people with disabilities and their families free of charge. You know, our family has been fighting for uh, change at both the, both the political and the legal level that will help uh, our kid and all of these other kids, you know, be real, real members of the community. It sounds like both as a state and nationally is that we all luck out that we had somebody with the skill sets that you had, the profession that you were in, and more importantly, the passion to continue to drive that project. For those unfamiliar with the term IEP, it is the Individualized Education Plan. The IEP is a legal document under United States law that is developed for each public school child in the U.S. who needs special education. It is created through a team of the child's parent and district personnel and other support staff or medical personnel who are knowledgeable about the child's needs. So we're three months into the school year. COVID has been around. It has been driving a lot of decision-making. You've had children that have been going in and out of schools. You have uh, temporary quarantines. This is, these are things that have impacted those on IEPs and those with disabilities in a far more severe manner than the neurotypical education system. What we've been seeing in the data is that the number of IEPs is dropping at this same time. That's a scary premise to think about, to think that you have more kids that are probably needing more support, yet they're getting misidentified, not identified, not having access to continuity assessments. How do we make sure our children get that access to everything that they deserve in the school system. 
one of the things we've learned over the years is you just never got it all figured out right? There's always something new and there's always, you know, you're always like, like I said, two steps behind and suddenly you realize, oh no, no, this isn't the right setting. This isn't the right school. We got to go further. Yeah. You know, we moved from early intervention to um, uh, a, a local school here that is, that specializes in serving children with autism. So in retrospect, I don't think I realized it at the time, it's a secluded setting. All of the children in that school have autism. At the time, it seemed like a great idea. And, and it was, it was a tremendous benefit to our family. And I actually have to back up because, you know, one of the, the you forget the details as the years go by and you <laughs> add them all up, right? Um, we did briefly enter the public school system when he was in preschool. Okay. And had a year that was sort of mind boggling in how little happened because mm. nothing happened. And I remember thinking, well, now, okay, I don't know what to expect, but I expected some slight improvement or some slight change or some growth. This is, this was not helpful at all. And so that's how we decide, made the decision at the outset to go to the program that specializes in children with autism. And he had not been speaking. He had not been verbal. And he was probably, I think, three or four by the time we went to the specialized school and within uh see you're gonna ask you ask me questions about my kids and it will make me it's, tear it's always so tough and actually <laughs> i mean and while while we have that small pause right now juliet it you have an understanding of a lot of this now yeah and back then you had a team of early intervention specialists and probably a wonderful physician that was able to kind of point you in the right direction, but it's still got to be hard to move that into right. the school setting and move that into right. the life. So, I mean, how, after going to the public school and getting, okay, I'm going to take that step and move into an environment or maybe I can get more intensive care. Maybe it wasn't the perfect environment at the time, but it was the next best choice. How did you get them to listen to you as a parent and listen to your external team to help support you? Well, you know, in the beginning, so Jeff, we were in the public school setting multiple times and then left. And, you know, when, when, it, when it was that first experience, when he was in preschool, um, we didn't know what to ask for. We were, we were not yet at a point where we really understood what should be happening. And so we had to go on instinct back then and simply say, this doesn't feel right. And then we moved into two different types of private settings. One was a school specializing in autism. Um, that, uh, uh, and, and then after that was another private school. Uh, both of those were very positive experiences for different reasons. And we learned a lot from those. And then we started to develop expectations because there were successes mm -hmm. and there was a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, you know, the, the autism school actually said to us after he was in kindergarten said he should push out, you should push him into the mainstream. He needs to be included. And this was something that I, I think was still a very early concept for us. Okay. And it's, and it, it was, you know, and, it, and it's uncomfortable when you're talking about your own little you know, child, your own little babe, you're like, what do you mean? Can he really do this? And, you know, these, these were the early days, Jeff. And, 
And, and we decided to bridge that by going to this private school in which he was fully integrated for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, he had, they, they brought, you know, they, they, they brought our aides into the classroom. Um, you know, the aides were involved and helpful and, and faded over time. And, 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 and he was just, a, he was a part of that class the entire day, every day for an entire year. That's got to feel wonderful for both you as a family and, and him to have that opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that school though, didn't go past kindergarten. Mm. And, but so that, that point we knew what successful inclusion looked like and we knew that it could work. We had just done it. And so we, I, I guess I would say naively went back to the public school setting the second time thinking, well, okay, now, now we know what to look for and what to get. Um, and then just, you know, hit that wall of, um, of uh, um, hit the wall that is the public school system. So, I mean, as you're defining inclusion in, in this regard, um, it sounds like uh, your son still had the supports to be able to access all the things that he was learning in treatment. He had, um, it sounds like a team or some therapists there to help him to utilize all those skills he's capable of. So what, what does inclusion for those that are out there and trying to kind of, and maybe everybody has their own definition of inclusion, but what does it mean to you? What does that environment consist of? Well, I, 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 I have a pretty, uh, a pretty strict definition in my mind. It is, you know, my child is in the gen ed setting all the time with appropriate supports and services. I just do not see why we have to segregate these kids, okay. any, any of them. And I know that that is, um, uh, and I know that's a complicated proposition. Mm-hmm. And I know that I might not share the same definition of inclusion that other people do. But I, I think that the capacity that I know my son has to learn um, from his peers and from all types of children not just the children in his special ed class, not just the children in his gen ed class, but all of them. But he learns so much more from them than he ever gets from us adults. Mm-hmm. And he can't express it. And so people doubt whether it's a valuable experience for him. You know, teachers say, why would you want him in here? He's not learning anything. And I, I know from years and years of experience that he is. Yeah. And that he's absorbing a lot more than they think. And that you know, and that's one of the, I, I have the, I have a uh, kind of a drumbeat in the back of my mind all the time, which is presumed competence. Mm-hmm. Like it is so hard for us to remember that we should be presuming competence in all of these kids. Yep. Um, and that, you know, being in the same room doesn't always mean that they're all watching the same teacher at the same time. It can mean like my son at various times has been in a you know, in a gen ed, general education math class. And he's had his own uh, uh, aide who goes off and works with him at a table on, you know, his, his other math problems. But he's listened to the lecture and he sees the other kids working on their math problems and he hears them talking about it and he sees what's going on around. And that is tremendously valuable, both for him and for them. Yeah. And I think sometimes forget people forget how much having an included environment helps everybody in that environment. And it right. helps everybody to be able to integrate and, and socialize 
with a, a wide variety of people. And that's a skill that we all need. How do I ensure that I am able to have my inclusion and supports at the same time? Yeah, you know, I have to say inclusion just by itself was one of the hardest battles and we fought it for years Mm -hmm. Um, because I think the mindset of the school system is, well, we can't support that. And so therefore we're just not going to do it. And so first you're, first you have to say, Oh no, you do have to do it. And apparently since you don't know what you need for supports, I have to figure it out. And so, you know, we had great resources, as you know, I mean, we had, we eventually got our wits about us as our child was growing up and found, you know, a good, a good source of therapy for him. Um, we eventually got insurance coverage, which helped. And we just started, I mean, I think, I think it's really important to remember that your IEP team can always include your own private consultants and resources. Mm-hmm. Like there are resources out there. There always are. There's a local PNA. There's a, you know, in Utah, we have something called the parent center. They have advocates that will help you, for free. And we all, honestly, this is such an overwhelming, you know, experience as a family. (laughs) Take the resources and Mm -hmm. take them with you to the meetings. And I think once we started bringing other people with us who were going to be, frankly, those more dispassionate advocates and the people who could keep their head during the meeting when (laughs) we couldn't and, and who could sit there and, 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 and start to identify what was missing and start to make constructive suggestions as to what should be included. That was incredibly helpful for us. Yeah. Um, but and taking that taking that team approach. So um, I would and and this is a presumption I'm making, but you you probably had an ABA therapy team that was involved. You might have had outside resources, a medical team, maybe even some psychological services. I don't know the full package, but you, it sounds like what you're saying is that each one of them could have a voice at the table in guiding how the school can integrate. Um, Even with the IEP process though, is that I would imagine get all those smart people at the table, there's still a barrier and the barrier might be who funds it. How do you, how do you make this happen? Or can I even open the doors to let in any of these members of the team to be able to help share their expertise so that the medical treatment my child needs is being provided within his educational environment. And so I, I know that you've been successful with that process. Do you have advice for families on, you know, how do you navigate that piece? Because everybody wants to shuck the buck, give it to somebody else, make sure that somebody else is paying for it uh, if they're going to open the doors. But how did you navigate that? You know, it, it, I think this varies on the school district because sometimes districts will allow you to bring in private supports and sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll allow you to help, um, you know, kind of augment what's going on if they just, if it's necessary, but sometimes it's a tremendous battle. Um, and so I think it is, I think it is really important. They, they always say the IEP is a team and, you know, everyone's going to work together and, and, and so many parents just really want to be nice just to make sure that somebody takes good care of their kid and loves their mm-hmm. kid at the end of the day. I mean, it's just this tremendous fear on the part of parents. Yeah. And I guess I, I would say as soon as you possibly can find that stern voice, find that, find that place of strength and figure out how you're going to navigate those meetings and prepare for those meetings in a way that, that you can come in 
ready to go. You don't have to be mean, but you do have to be really, really strong. And if you need like somebody else to stand behind you and or stand beside you and like hold you up from behind, fine, do it. But we long ago started asking for draft IEPs in advance. And people were sort of, well, why would you want that? I'm like, because I can't process it all in the meeting. You're shoving all this stuff at me and I can't even find the moment where I say, wait a minute, when is my kid going into the gen ed class? Like it's, it's really hard to understand what is, uh, what people are saying on IEPs. It's really hard to understand, you know, whether or not they've even thought about the right things sometimes. And so we ask for drafts in advance. We send them to our teams, you know, and to our team members, to our, you know, our therapists and if, you know, and if needed anyone else. And we say, what would you add? What's your wish list? I've been telling people we work with outside the school system for years. What's your wish list? What do you want to see on my son's IEP? And uh, asking parents, what do you guys do? Um, and then going in and seeing what you can fit in there. Um, so I, I think please, never be afraid to ask for anything. And then, you know, let yourself go in and amend and change it. Never be afraid to ask in the beginning and never be afraid to amend that thing. Like fix it if it's not working. I think that's such crucial advice is that an IEP, like any other document, I mean, it, it becomes a, a binding document. It's, it's what the school is required to do. And I don't think I'd ever sign a contract without taking the time to look through it, understand all the details. And from what you're saying, it's got to be an emotional process is that not only are you you, your best advocate, but then you blindly trust, I left my kid here and they're going to be going to the school and I'm not there to protect them anymore. So if I angered people through this process, I have to trust that they will still be supportive. So you're almost walking on eggshells in that meeting. And the idea of being able to feel confident and trust your voice are there, are there people that you could bring into the meeting to support that? You, you might be strong enough to do it, but there might be families who are saying, you know, I can't do that on my Absolutely. own. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, if I, yes, you bring in, you, br- you can bring in an attorney. You can bring in um, just a friend. You can bring in anyone you want. And this is kind of one of those moments of don't ever let that school tell you you can't um, because We've had, you know, we've had uh, volunteer consultants from the Utah Parent Center in our meetings before. Um, you know, I'm an attorney, so I haven't yet dragged another attorney in. That feels sort of like a doubling down of a, you know, a very, I guess, in our world, more aggressive approach to the IEP. Um, uh, we've brought, we've almost always, in fact, these days, we always have at least one member of our ABA therapy team in, in, in all of those IEP meetings. And they have prepared in advance, and they have reviewed everything, and they've made suggestions, and I ask them to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not going to believe me that this, this particular behavioral intervention is going to make a world of difference, listen to the expert. Yeah, and it's and it's funny. It sounds like the medical world has adopted that same philosophy of I should be able to embed all of this mental health, behavioral health, medical services into the school setting because they're not excluding based off of where you have to do the service. And sometimes the best place to do it for inclusion is in the school. But schools sometimes still fight back. And I think what you're saying is empowering is bring the team. Have a good conversation about it and dialogue about it. 
because rational minds usually prevail. And if you can get everybody discussing what's going to be best, typically it's best for everybody. Typically it's best for the teacher to have your aid supporting them. Uh, typically it's better for the entire class. If somebody can really work on the behavioral needs of your child, that it wouldn't disrupt the rest of the group. Um, and typically it's better for everybody, as you said, with inclusion to have a unified classroom where you have people of all different abilities in the same classroom. And I, I think what you're saying is, is that there's a way to do it, but you have to have the voice to get there. Um, as you look back, I mean, is there, is there anything that you would say, it sounds like you might've said, I might've looked at inclusion differently 10, 12 years ago than I do now. But is there anything else that you'd say, you know, I wish that I could hit the rewind, do this. And as a parent, I think that we always have these moments, but reset and go back and try a different path. You know, I, I talked earlier about, um, uh, presuming competence, but I also just trusting your instincts and, and acting sooner than you might normally act. Um, I think a lot of our learning experience came through failures, came through a giant trust exercise at the beginning of the year when you put together the IEP and you meet the brand new aides and teachers that they just brought in and you hope the new team's going to work and the next thing you know, things are not going well. And it takes a wild amount of time on the parents' part. But if you, if you don't act soon, then next thing you know, weeks have gone by and months have gone by. And, you know, I, I look back and I feel like we've had a lot of lost years. You know, just we did it. I thought we were doing great and we had a lost year. And I just, I, I would, I don't doubt your instincts. If you feel that things aren't good, you've just got to like, just push forward and say something and act sooner because, you know, that's the way you learn uh, what it is your child needs. You know, I mean, it might be that you were wrong about what you proposed at the beginning of the year. It might be that they said they were going to do a, but they were really doing four. I mean, honestly, I've had, <laughs> I've had conversations with people who are like, Oh yeah, I totally know what you're talking about. And next thing I know, you know, their, their behavioral intervention is sort of the antithesis like we all used the same words, but it turns out you had totally different definitions and you actually don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, as soon as you suspect that things aren't right, I mean, you know, you've got it. You've got to just reach in and, and, and see if you can see if you can write the ship. Yeah. Um, I mean, but it sounds like, I mean, a lot of the things where you're saying you might not have gone on your instinct and it might've been a failure at a time for you is that, um, just even the advocacy to being able to speak about it and share that experience with others. I, I, it's so empowering for every other family out there. So I, I like the idea of parents who are going through this, being able to share with one another how that experience was, what they found beneficial, how they worked through it, and then talking with their team to make sure that they can all get there. I think parent education is really in parent empowerment, giving them the chance to be able to be everything that they want to be for their child. And sometimes that's advocate. Sometimes that's teacher. Sometimes that is a loving, supporting parent. And I think that that's the piece that that shared information becomes so crucial. Um, to go back to the beginning, we have, we have a lot of children and you've mentioned the IEP process being so powerful, so important. 
Um, this is a, a funky year. Uh, when we initially started this podcast, we were talking about the fact that, you know, numbers went down pretty drastically for people who could access first time IEPs or getting the entire team together. Like you said, it was a lot harder during COVID when you have quarantines, you have um, temporary school closures, you have uh, distance learning. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that from a parent who experienced this and believes wholly in the IEP process. The IEP process allows for that inclusion, which is so important. What, what are your thoughts on this? And, and what has your experience been? Um, you know, our experience this year has been one big reminder that it doesn't matter how many times you say, I insist that my child be included to the full extent possible. I, this is part of your, my IEP. This must happen. You know, once again, we started the year and he was only in special ed and we had to raise our hands at the first, you know, and they did a number of things, right? I mean, I think that our district tried really hard um, and, and, and they have in recent years been trying to do better. They were really bad for a while. Um, I'll be frank, and, and they're trying to do better, and I've been very involved in all of that. And so they were really up on the, we've had an, I, we had an IEP meeting pretty early, and that was great, and, there, and, 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 and it went pretty well. And, of course, our therapists were involved, and we reviewed things, and we talked them through. But then I said, so what gen ed classes is it going to be in? Like, I asked before school started and didn't get an answer, and I was told about a mentoring program or a peer buddy program, which is fabulous, by the way. I'm a huge fan of peer buddy programs, especially when they're done well. They're okay. wonderful. Uh, do you mind briefly just giving a, a description of, of what the peer buddy program is? Yes. Is, it, is it like almost a, a peer shadow throughout the day or a friend that's assigned to be able to help support? Our, our experiences have been more of just a, you know, just, just friends, just okay. a, um, you know, more of a, you have a peer buddy for the day or the week. And, and they, you know, the last school we were at really cared about it not being a, they're very attentive to it being like, let's build meaningful relationships. Let's play in the playground together. Let's read together. Let's, um, you know, not, you know, don't, don't, don't baby my child actually, you know, interact with him and, 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 and let's move it around. So there's not just one kid doing it all year. And it was really wonderful. Like we had a very, by the time we were done, we were in elementary school for about four or five years. And by the time we left, you had kids from the gen ed class who would line up. And if my son wasn't there yet, they'd be like, teacher, Ben's not here yet, you know, or my son's, you know, the, the, he's not here yet. And um, we've got to wait for him. Got to make sure he comes with us. And it was really wonderful. It was sort of an example of why I think inclusion is so important. And as, as kids get older, so my, you know, my son's heading into the junior high, high school years, I, it's changing. It gets different, but it's still a just one-on-one -on -one relationship building. And, you know, these the kids get to know who my son is and my son gets to know who they are and there's communication challenges, but they start to work through them. And that comfort and that relationship building is really helpful as far as bringing him into the social groups yeah. uh, and making him feel comfortable in the classroom. So with programs like that and to go back to where we were with with COVID affecting things this year is that um, it's got to be hard to be able to maintain those programs without somebody, once again, fighting, advocating to say, this is the most important thing to me right now. Right. We need this in place. Um, yeah. So how has that, that gone for you as far as being able to make sure those key components are there? 
I think that it's, it's gone relatively well when it comes to uh, special education. And frankly, even the peer, pro- peer mentoring, the peer buddy program, they're doing it via WebEx or whatever, Zoom, whatever they use. And, and they started it right away. They're big believers in it. And there's no gen ed. And it's a giant question for me. We pushed for it. We're going to start some. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no supports. It's, it's just a, you know, your son sits at home and watches a video with a bunch of other kids and you know that your kid's not going to want to sit there. And now we are at the point where we have a therapy team. We have therapists that come to the house when my kid's not in class and helps. And that has actually been um, seeking. It's not for having that help all throughout the summer. You know, because I know some people are trying to homeschool and things like that. I mean, it, that's just an insane burden for a typical, you know, for a parent of a typical child, much less, you know, parents of, of children with autism and other disabilities. It is mm-hmm. wacky right now. Um, but it, it's, I don't know how it's going to work. I'm not sure it is. That's something that, that we're trying to tackle with giving just clinical advice for families is, with that discontinuity and knowing that, you know, a lot of maybe some kids benefit from virtual learning, but a lot of children that need extra supports are not benefiting from a virtual classroom. So how do you create that? And, you know, there's a variety of models out there, but you have to be creative right now. You have to really be able to kind of think through and, and having the resources to do that and, and kind of mobilize that team unit. And in this year, it might not be just an IEP team. It might be your behavioral team. It might be um, your social skill team, your peer group team, but really immobilizing more players, which makes it a tougher juggle to do. But well, I really, I really enjoyed the conversation that we had today, Julie. Is there anything that, that you'd want to add as just a parting note that, you know, is, is particularly important that, that you want to make sure our guests walk away feeling or, or knowing or really advocating for themselves on? Ah, so many things, Jeff, so many things. Um, you know, I guess one of the things I would say uh, that, that I keep coming back to as the years go by, um, and, and it's important to know, I have an older son. I have a neurotypical child who's, a, who's heading off to college now. So we parented one child and then had our child with autism. And so I knew what it was like to parent a typical child. And there have been many, many moments where, and particularly when I'm pushing for inclusion and trying to explain to people why I think it, it's so important. It has to happen for me, for my child, for you, for your children, for all of us is, you know, we, we, we can't forget we're, we're just, we're parents, we're parenting children. And I shouldn't be parenting my autistic child in a way that is somehow fundamentally different than my typical child. Like my older son, he, we pushed him at times, even though he didn't want to do things, you know, we insisted that he just try things and he'd go out there and experience life. We had plenty of moments where he experienced failure and disappointment and frustration, but that is all part of like growing and learning. And how can I not, you know, assume that my other child is equally capable of learning from those moments and deserves something similar. Like why, like I can't give up. I can't just put him in a soft pad room and protect him his whole life. Like Mm -hmm. he's got to learn how to grow and he's got to learn how to, you know, um, 
he wants to grow. He wants to become a part of this world and, and in a way that works for him and everyone else. And so there's going to be times in which things are hard and uncomfortable. And I've had teachers look at me and go like, why are you, you know, like, do you really think he wants to be here? And I'm like, he does. I know. And I know you can't see it right now, but I have parented him with the same high expectations that I have for my other child. Mm-hmm. And we should have those high expectations. They'll look different, but don't lose the high expectations because the kids are like, I've worked with children. I've, I've worked with adults, you know, with disabilities, as you know, I mean, like people don't stop growing. Mm -hmm. Don't stop learning. They're always capable of doing more. Yeah. And and, and if I walk away with anything, I mean, I hear, I hear your passion and I hear the inclusion almost in every piece that we're talking about as being an important component is, Give your child a chance to experience anything that they want to experience, anything that could make their life and enrich it. But that takes you creating the right team, feeling empowered that in the education process, I can define that team and that's what I'm going to do and and feel like I can take that to the IEP process and build out the right plan and that right now we're in COVID and it's funky. So your team might change. Where you're doing this might change, but keep that in mind. So I, I do appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Julia. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all of the major listening apps, including Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. You can learn about ABS and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids, that's plural, dot com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.